0: My name is Michael Brock. I'm the senior pastor here at Third Presbyterian Church. Third Pres has been a part of the downtown Birmingham community since 1884, and we still today hold to the historic, classic Christian faith. We're glad you've been watching, but we would love to have you join us one Sunday in person. Please see our website for our Sunday morning service times, and I hope to meet you soon. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn in them with me to Romans chapter 4. And while you're turning in your Bibles to Romans chapter 4, which in your pew Bible, that's page number 941. While you're turning there, the children ages 3 through 8 are free to be dismissed for the children's Bible lesson. I've been preaching through the book of Romans. This is sermon number 20. You see in chapter 1, verse 16, the real theme of this book, that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. And then verse 17 kind of adds to it and says, for in it, in that gospel, that good news, the righteousness of God is revealed. So that's there at the beginning of Romans in chapter 1, and then the rest of chapter 1, all of chapter 2, and through verse 20 of chapter 3, Paul describes man's need for salvation, man's unrighteousness. And then in chapter 3, beginning in verse 21, he really gets into explaining the gospel. Those first few verses, verses 21 to 26, give us the real core. the the meat, the essentials of what the gospel is. So he reveals it there in verses 21 to 26. And then in verses 27 through 31 of chapter 3, he defends this gospel that he has just shared against the critics, particularly the Jews. And then here in chapter 4, he illustrates the gospel. So it's revealed in chapter 3, then it's defended at the end of chapter 3, and now it's illustrated here in the life of Abraham and David. Now, just a quick reminder, I know not all of you are, uh, are believers in, in Christ, and, and you, you, uh, some, many of you don't know your Bibles that well, so I'll try to give you just a little bit of background. Abraham is the man who's known as the father of the Jews. He was a Gentile, and he lived in the east in chaldean of the Ur, uh, Ur of the chaldeans and god called him and said leave your people leave your country and go to a land that i'm going to show you and i'm going to make of you a mighty nation i'm going to make of you descendants that are as numerous as the stars in the heavens and of course that was a, a surprise to abraham of course you read about this in genesis chapter 12 that was a, a big surprise to abraham because his wife was infertile they had no children so anyway goes with it and follows the lord Uh, in genesis chapter 15 still no child to abraham or sarah Um, but god reiterates his promise that he's going to bless him that all the nations of the world are going to be blessed through him that is through his descendants in particular his seed singular not plural which is a reference to the lord jesus But there's still no child at that point. But we read here and we'll see it today. This is one of the main main verses that we're looking at in Romans chapter 4. Abraham believed the Lord. Uh, Even though it it didn't look like there was any way that what God had promised could come about. Abraham believed the Lord and God credited it to him as righteousness. Then you get to Genesis chapter 17. So that's Genesis 12 then chapter 15. Then in Genesis chapter 17, still no child. Still no child to Abraham and Sarah. God reiterates the promise. And he says, as a matter of fact, just to prove it to you, I'm going to give you this sign It's the sign of circumcision. That's the sign that all of, you, you, all of your people, all of your descendants will have. And then in Genesis, finally, chapter 21, we have the birth of Isaac. And God was faithful to his promise. So that's what we're reading about a little bit today from Romans 4 is a reference back to. Uh, that Paul makes to about Abraham there in the early chapters of Genesis. But he also, here in, Genesis, in Romans chapter 4, references David. David, of course, the great king of the Jews, descendant of Abraham, uh, really referred to as the greatest king of Israel because he's the one who inaugurated um, the golden age of Israel. He's the one who conquered the enemies. He was, he, he was a man of war, and he conquered enemies, Um, He expanded their empire, um, far from perfect, which I'll make reference to here, but still a man of great faith who believed the Lord. So that's a little background. Now let's read from Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. If you're able, please stand to honor the reading of God's Word. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our our forefather, according to the flesh, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's going back to Genesis chapter 15 where he's, Paul's quoting Genesis 15. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly... So that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our father, we pray that you would use this time now to open our eyes, that we would behold wondrous things from your law through Jesus. We pray. Amen. You may be seated. How do you know if you're right with God? How do you know? Uh, It's one of the most um, perplexing questions that anyone can have. It it can cause us to to stumble as we just walk through life. Am I right with God or not? How do you know if you're right with God? Other terms that are used here in Romans, uh, it might be said, How do you know if you're justified before God? Uh, it's, it's also appropriate this scripturally to say, how do you know if you're saved? Or you could say it like the old Puritans. How do you know if you're a true Christian? You know, most people, and, and of course the religions of the world, teach that one is made right with God through what he does, through his performance, through, through works. Of course, what Paul is clarifying here for us in this letter to the Christians in Rome is that it's not our works, it's not our performance, it's not our obedience, it's not our good deeds, it's not performing religious rituals that make us right with God. It is faith and faith alone. And Paul uses these two examples to teach us what it looks like to be right with God. David and Abraham. And so I want to cover this and then have a third point about how it might apply to us. So first of all, Abraham. Abraham was made right with God by faith You see the question there in verse 1, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our father according to the flesh? Uh, Our father, uh, the father of the Jews. In other words, what benefit, the question is, What benefit did Abraham Abraham get by his works, by his good deeds, by, by his obedience, by his good deeds outweighing his bad? What was the benefit there? That's the question that he asked. And then verse 2, we say, we see that if Abraham was made right with God by his good deeds outweighing his bad, then, then he really has something to brag about. And we would agree with that. We'd say, yeah, if you, if you can stand before God on your own two feet with your good deeds outweighing your bad, hey, way to go. Great job. Impressed. But at the end of verse 2, the clarification is that nobody stands before God on his own two feet, on his own record. That's what you see there, but not before God. I mean, you, you may be better than the person sitting in front of you or behind you, you know, in, in just, you know, characteristics or moral behaviors or whatever, but no one stands before God on his own record. And then verse 3 quotes the Old Testament. As I've now mentioned a couple of times. Verse 3, for what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's going back to Genesis chapter 15 verse 6 in other words this idea of righteousness every single one of us has to be righteous to stand before God so don't just think that God says you know what I'm going to let people in who aren't righteous no everybody has to be righteous to stand before God the question is how do you get that righteousness that's the question You're going to get it by your own good deeds outweighing your bad, your own performance, your own keeping of religious rituals and being baptized and never missing a Sunday in worship. Is that the way you're going to get your righteousness before God? Good luck. No, that's not the way it works. Our only chance of standing righteous before God is through the Lord Jesus that we receive by faith. That's how you get it. And of course, that's what we see here. Abraham did such a good job in keeping the religious rituals that God counted it to him as righteous. Is that what it says? No, Abraham believed God and he counted it to him as righteousness. It was faith that grabbed hold of of the righteousness of christ of course which he didn't exactly know what that would look like but it was the promise of god i'll talk about that in a minute, a minute i think i can't remember if it's in my notes or not but abraham believed god and credited it to him as righteousness and then second point you see david same way david was made right with god by faith verse six david also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom god counts righteousness apart from works So this is Paul quoting David's words in the 32nd Psalm, the first two verses of Psalm 32. David wrote many of the Psalms. And so uh, Paul is quoting David's writing of the the 32nd uh, Psalm here in verses 7 and 8. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. You know, most of us will say we're blessed if we have good health. Most of us will say we're blessed if we've got enough in our savings account and so forth and so on. Paul says, quoting David, that a man is blessed if his sins are forgiven. A man is blessed if the Lord doesn't count his sins against him. Remember David? He was an adulterer and then he conspired to commit murder Tried, was successful in having uh, Bathsheba, um, the one with whom he committed adultery, having her husband killed. This is a man of God? You know, if anyone knew how wonderful it is, how blessed it is to be forgiven, it was King David. Sometimes we'll see stories or see a news clip or something uh about someone being released from jail because they were they were wrongly imprisoned, and maybe it was even you know years or decades that that they were wrongly imprisoned. And of course, they're ecstatic when they get out; they're they thrilled, which they sh- they should be. But people who are forgiven after not being wrongly imprisoned, but but for actually doing terrible deeds, they're beyond ecstatic. Matter of fact, they're usually. Quietly, humbled, tearful, just overwhelmed that they could have their sins forgiven. And they weren't wrongly accused. They really did these things. Well, that, listen, that's, for those of you who are in Christ, that's all of us. N- not just wrongly accused of being bad, but every single one of us. Has done wrong. We have sinned against the Lord, and so to be forgiven, as David says here, blessed is are, are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will now count his sin. So this is Abraham, and this is David that Paul gives us as illustrations here in Romans chapter four, which it leads to a question that Paul then asks and answers in verse nine: Is this blessing only for the circumcised? the Jews, or also for the uncircumcised, the Gentiles. Is this blessed justification only for the Jews or Gentiles? Verse 9, For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? In other words, was it performing the religious ritual of circumcision that earned him that badge of righteousness? Verse 10, It was not after. But before he was circumcised, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had, that he already had, by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So he he received the sign of circumcision after he was considered righteous before God. The, The sign of circumcision didn't do anything to make him right with God. It was to show that he was right with God. And then verse 11 gives us the purpose for all this. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised. To make him the father of the Gentiles. That's what Paul is saying here about the father of the Jews. The purpose, the way this was arranged, to show that it's not doing good but be, or, or being obedient or practicing the re- religious rituals. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised. And then of course verse 12 says it's for the those who are circumcised as well. Now, this doctrine of justification by faith, one of the things that we see from Romans chapter 4 here is that it's not a New Testament doctrine. You might think, okay, when people were in the Old Testament, they were saved by doing good works, but then you get in the New Testament are saved by grace and faith. No, it's it's very clear right here. That's what Paul's arguing. This justification by faith it's not new it's the way it's always been it's, it's the way people have always been made right with God Now, Old Testament, belief, Old Testament believers they were justified by trusting in the promises of God New Testament folks the same way Old Testament folks didn't know exactly how that righteousness of God, the promise of God the, the seed promise of God would work out how exactly it would look we, on this side of the cross, look back. So they look forward and it was fuzzy. We look back and what do you say about hindsight? It's 2020. We look back and it's very clear. They look forward, we look back. Bottom line, both New Testament and Old Testament folks look to God for the righteousness that we need. And so what we see here is the teaching from Paul that Abraham was saved by faith. David, too, was saved by faith. And that leads to my third point. Everyone is made right with God by faith. I mean, it would be easy for us all to agree that, yeah, faith is the key, uh, not works. Maybe you've heard that a lot growing up or whatever. Um, maybe you're just, a, you know, you're just a regular old Westerner, especially American. You know, you, uh, you, you've heard this. You, you, uh, Americans especially are, are, are religious folk or people of faith. But, you know, you look around, and doesn't there seem to be some kind of disconnect? Because so many people claim to be followers of God, Christians, and yet the world in which we live, especially here in these United States and locally, um, it's, it's a nation full of murder. It's a nation full of corruption. It's a nation full of sexual immorality and anger and bitterness, and on and on and on we go. Something's not right. And so it leads to the question, help me understand this faith. I mean, what does it mean to believe? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. What does that mean? mean? What does it mean to believe? How would you know if you're believing rightly? How would you know if you're believing properly, rightly? And so I'm going to give you three words to help you understand sort of the nuances of faith, belief. The first word is the word faith. And I'm going to give you sort of a, a little acronym here. And I've been talking about faith. What does it mean to believe? It's, it's, it is faith. But to better understand faith, I'm going to give you an acronym that some of you would have heard before. It's the acronym CAT. But it's spelled with a K cat with a K and the K in the acronym, uh, cat stands for the word knowledge. And so faith belief, it begins with this bit of information about the Lord Jesus. So it begins with this knowledge, you know, think about, think about it, um, with, with, uh, here you hear that George Washington was the first president of the United States. So so you have that bit of information, that bit of knowledge is given to you. That's, that's part of faith. You have to have that. Second, though, in again, the acrostic is CAT. It, the A stands for assent or uh, agreement, you could even say. Assent or agreement. Believing that that information is true. Not just knowing the information, but believing that it's accurate that yeah uh, george washington was indeed you can believe that he he really was the first president of the united states but then there's the t in that acronym cat and that stands for the word trust you know it's one thing to be made aware that george washington was the first president of the united states it's something else to assent to that and agree that yes he was it's something else entirely when you Write that down as an answer to the question on your exam. (laughs) When you, in a sense, put your grade on the line, whether you entrust yourself to that knowledge, that's the issue. The old EE um, uh, program uh, in presenting the gospel to folks would be very likely in a, a living room and you would be talking about faith here and explaining the gospel to people and you would maybe have a chair across the room there and you'd say uh to, to some folks who, with whom you're talking uh, do you know what that is that's the knowledge piece yeah that's a chair okay that's knowledge that's great do you believe that it can hold you up yeah that's that's the ascent i believe that it works that it's strong enough to hold people up who, who would sit in it is it holding you that's the trust that's that's where the knowledge and, assent, knowledge and assent gets applied, gets practiced. Abraham sat in the chair, in a sense. David sat in the chair. and They, they entrusted themselves to the Lord. They, they believed not just knowledge and assent, but they truly uh, submitted themselves to the Lord. And so I ask you this morning have you ever sat in the chair? I got my wife's permission to share sort of her testimony. She was a, a girl who grew up in a you know, good old normal Methodist church in Marietta, Georgia. And uh, she was the kind who was there Sunday morning and Sunday night because they had MYF, you know, Mission Methodist Youth Fellowship or something like that. You know, all the youth get together and so she's pretty sociable. So she wanted to be with them. And so she was there Sunday morning, Sunday night. She, she had the knowledge of Christ. Uh, she she would have even agreed that yeah Jesus died on the cross for our sins, but um, she was she was asked one time to to share her testimony, which in in Christian language that's like tell your spiritual journey, talk about your story of how you've come to understand faith, and so she she shared her testimony, and uh, an older man who was listening to her, um, after after hearing her talk said could we sit down and talk? Because <laughs> he realized, you know what? She's never sat in the chair. This story is just all about, yeah, she's had the, the cursory knowledge and, and, and she understands and she would have sent. That she, and so he, he pressed her on it. They sat, they sat down and talked and, and he, he kind of asked her a couple pointed questions and the light switch turned on and she realized, I, I've never really given my life to Christ in that sense. Knowledge... Assent, trust. The second word after faith, so I'm, that was an attempt to help clarify what does it really mean to believe. What is faith? Second word here to understand what it really means to believe is the word repentance. Faith and repentance work together. They're like two sides of the same coin. There are distinctions. There are some uniquenesses uh, to. Th- there are some things that are unique about these words. But faith and repentance really go together. Again, two sides of the same coin. After the after the, rest of, uh, the arrest of John the Baptist in Mark chapter 1, we read, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Those words fit together. Repent, Repentance and faith, they always go together. And I've just talked about what faith is. Repentance is a saving grace, meaning it's a work of the Lord, whereby a sinner, us in our sinful state, we we sense deeply how sinful we are and, and we grieve over that sin. We hate that sin and we turn from it to the Lord with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience, meaning there's this new intention to live wholly for the Lord that's what repentance is and repentance and faith go together and then the final word that i want to give you is simply the word sin faith repentance and sin again talking about here what does it really mean to believe or have faith it's this understanding of what it means to believe that it's that trust it's repentance and then it's having a right view of sin what it means um, for us to be sinners. And, and you go back to verse 5 here. And to the one who does not work, but believes in Him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted as righteousness. This true faith that I'm trying to help you understand. Trust. Repentance. It begins with a confession. I am ungodly. I am a sinner. Not just that I have sinned and done some wrong things, but it's my nature. I am ungodly. I am a sinner. We have to feel the weight of our sin. That's the, that's the, the, the the missing piece for many. You know, David, I mentioned King David who again did many great things for the lord wrote much of the bible the, there in the psalms in particular but when he was finally confronted about his adultery and his conspiracy to commit to commit murder when he after, when he confessed his sin and repented before the lord he put that in a poem it's the 51st psalm and it begins with these words have mercy on me o god according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin for, my, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. And He goes on and on and on like that. Because that's a key piece here in understanding what does it really mean to believe. Faith, trust, Repentance, sin. I mentioned earlier that today we're celebrating epiphany, which again means revealing or unveiling. You think of... uh, uh, You don't see it as much these days anymore, but but in the past, a a bride would walk down the aisle and she would be covered in a veil and and at some point the veil would be lifted or removed. You'd see how beautiful she is. In the church... Epiphany uh, refers to the revealing of Jesus to the Gentiles. Again, like I said earlier today, the Magi from the East, they were Gentiles. And Jesus, we see in in what we learn from the Scriptures in this episode, this historical example of the Magi coming to Jesus, what we learn is that Jesus is not just King of the Jews, but He's King of the world. All mankind can be made right with God through Christ. He came not to deliver the Jews from Roman oppression. He came to deliver all mankind from the oppression of sin that's in our own hearts. And so that makes Christians, in a sense, missionary people, epiphany people you are wanting to reveal the light of Christ, reveal the love of God, reveal the truth of who Jesus is to the world. And what is that message? Recognize your sinfulness. Trust in the Lord rather than yourself. Repent. Let us pray. Perhaps some of you are here today and you would have maybe recognize during this sermon that you've never really entrusted your life to Christ. And so I would encourage you to pray this prayer after me silently in your heart. Heavenly Father, I confess that I'm a sinner deserving Your wrath. I repent of my sin and turn to You this day. I place my faith in Jesus and not myself or my works. Amen, Lord. You have broken. You, know, you you love broken hearts. You love contrite hearts. You respond to those who seek you, and I pray, O oh Lord, that today you would bless your people by making us all over the over the top thankful for the salvation that is ours by faith, not dependent upon us in any way. And Lord, enable us to go forth from this place keeping in mind that the Lord Jesus shall have dominion